Hello, and welcome to another episode of Give Us This Day, Our Daily Lou. Well, I'll read a piece out of the Bhagavad Gita and talk about it. Hope you're all having a lovely Thursday. Almost there. It's almost Friday, June 2nd. I want to give a special congratulations to a friend of mine. Just brought a beautiful creation into this earth. And the best part about it to me in my psychotic ways of thinking is I truly know she's her and the, the mister, the husband is going to raise a beautiful child in all sense of the word. Because they're, they're, tr- they're truly to me, truly deeply in love and come from great ideas and places and have compassion and love and great with money and just creation and they're beautiful people. And I love that. I love seeing when a child is brought into this earth with intentful thought and not even intentful thought. You know what? I love when a child's brought into this earth with by like <clears throat> two beings that understand the sacrifice. Not because other people are doing it or whatever, but I, I you know, just something I think about because a lot of the neurosis we deal with the, the development of the child and it's because parents have kids when they didn't even deal with their shit and they mix the shit over and then it's up to the kid. And, you know, the whole way of us human actions because it's so easy to just fucking come in something, you know? So anyway, um, yeah, congratulations. I'm not naming names because I don't know if they want that, but love yous. Now, here we are. This is the beginning of chapter five, Renounce and Rejoice. So what we're going to do is, uh, like I always do, is just read the author of this translation of the Gita. Read his um, explanation of this chapter. So when we go further into the shlokes, we have an understanding other than my ramblings. So here we are. Hold on. I'm going to do my best to read this in a way that you'll be able to. Because I, I realize, too, if you're just listening, you don't have to keep rewinding if I go on a, a, a speed read or some bullshit. So let me slow it down and see if I can present it to you in a pleasing way. So here we are. At the beginning of this chapter, the, tra- the traditional approach to the spiritual life, that is, leaving the world, retiring from the ordinary affairs of job and family, is contrasted with working in the world with detachment. The general term for retiring from the world is sannyasa, which is renunciation. Traditionally, sannyasa meant renouncing all worldly ties and attachments. The person undertaking the vow of sannyasa would leave home, family, and occupation to pursue a strict contemplative life. You know, like the guy in a cave or the alleged priest. The idea of the priest, if you will. Those people. Uh, The saints and all them. The ones that literally their entire existence is to God. They're mad, you know, the married to God, that thing. This was a path chosen by very few, even in ancient India. Yet we shouldn't forget that surprising numbers of people in traditional societies, both in the East and the West, have chosen a monoistic, monist, mon, um, words, huh? Chosen a monistic life removed from the turmoil of the world. In India, the compassionate Buddha provides the classic example of one who leaves the comforts and fulfillments of family and worldly life 
to seek the lonely way to self-realization. The story is well known throughout Asia. Siddhartha Gautama was prince with every worldly satisfaction within his reach. That, that's Buddha's real name, by the way. This is what I'm talking about. With every satisfaction within his reach, who left his palace to find a way to lead the world beyond suffering and death. He became a wandering sannyasi, a lonely, austere monk. Only after he had attained to complete enlightenment did he return to society to teach others of peace of nirvana. Though Krishna acknowledges here that this way of sannyasa can lead to the goal, he recommends the path of selfless action or selfless service as the better way. He contrasts the way of sankhya, which is... He contrasts the way of Sankhya, which in this context means knowledge of self in a general way, to the way of yoga, which here means the way of action. So he's putting in con contrast Sanyaka, which in this context means knowledge of the self in a general way, with the way of yoga, which here means the way of action, because one is to know, one is to do, knowledge and action. This term yoga presents difficulties in the Gita because it means different things at different times. And many definitions are given of this all-purpose term, like we talked about yesterday. But for several chapters, the topic under discussion has been the active spiritual life, or karma yoga. And that is clearly what is meant in this text. Sa I can't this word. Sankhya and yoga might also be translated as theory and practice. Thinking and doing. I would seem, I mean, sorry, it would seem that at the time of the Gita, the path of wisdom was regarded very highly, while the path of action may have been looked upon as an alter, adulteration of the spiritual life. It is even possible that the Gita was the first Hindu scripture to produce the novel idea of combining karma yoga with the pursuit of self-knowledge. Krishna says that only immature, inexperienced people look upon the paths of knowledge and action as different. Why? Because they want to fight for what they believe is right rather than absolute truth, which is not born of human intellect. The true goal of action is knowledge of the self. Following either path faithfully will lead to the complete spiritual vision. What the f Can I not hear my... Uh, technical difficulties. It is essential. This is, this is what's going on. Hello? Oh, I'm sure you can hear me. I can't hear myself. So we'll continue. It is essential in karma yoga that the selfish ego not expect gratification from the work. When there is no selfish involvement in work, the worker does not come to spiritual harm. The example is the lotus. It spends its life floating in water, yet the drops of water roll off its leaves without ever wetting them. Similarly, as long as the karma yogis do not expect reward or recognition, any evil that might stain them has nowhere to cling. 
Such yogis are said to be detached from the outcome or fruits of their actions. You're damn sure they weren't looking for likes. You know what I mean? Or customers. Krishna warns Arjuna that a life of work, even successful work, cannot be fulfilling without self-knowledge. Ultimately, the true self within him is not affected by what he does, whether good or bad. Only knowledge of the self, which rises like the sun at dawn, can fulfill the purpose of his life and lead him beyond rebirth. This, because think also think about what that right there. Only knowledge of the self, which rises like the sun at dawn, can fulfill the purpose of life and lead him beyond birth. Think about when you don't have really a, a, a even a meaning to what you're doing every day, or you have that fulfillment, something that's just a fire burning, and you get after it every day. A lot of times we fixate on death and what we don't have and things like that. So even if you thought about it in that sense, knowledge of the self, what you truly want to fulfill yourself with rises like the dawn that's the that's a rising of energy coming through you ascending through you like jesus fulfill the purpose of his life and lead him beyond death that's amazing right so now i'm going to continue this knowledge of the self or atman is by its very nature also knowledge of brahma brahman the all-pervading imminent and transcendent godhead Krishna says that the illumined person sees this divine essence in all beings. He or she has equal vision and sees the divine self in all, regardless of the outer aspect. The last three verses of the chapter describe a state of profound meditation called samadhi. When meditation becomes very deep, breathing becomes slow, steady, and even and the windows of the senses close to all outward sensations. Next, the faculties of the mind quiet down, resting from their usually frantic activity. Even the primal emotions of desire, fear, and anger subside. When all these sensory and emotional tides have ceased to flow, then the spirit is free, mukta, at least for the time being. It has entered the state called samadhi. I had this person that they tell me they get into samadhi all the time and they think they can stay in it. Samadhi can come and go. Generally, it can be entered only in a long period of meditation and after many years of ardent endeavor. But one verse adds the significant word sada always. Once this state of deep concentration becomes established, the person lives in spiritual freedom or moksha permanently permanently this is extremely rare this is extremely rare this is extremely rare mystics of the west as well as the east have attained brief glimpses of unity but very few very few can be said to have dwelt in permanently as if it were their natural habitat in the west the most prominent figures are meister eckhart saint Teresa of avila and saint john of the cross though here have been others. In Hindu tradition, there is a long line of saints and mystics who have tried to communicate something of nature of this union with reality or God. From the unknown records of the Upanishads through the Buddha, Shankara and Mira, to Ramakrishna and Ramana Maharshi. Now, if you know about any of those names I just said, which Buddha, you think most of us know now, Shankara, Mira, 
Ramakrishna and Ramayana Maharashi. <laughs> That's like, oh my lord, like, this is where I get nuts. This is the nuts part, right? The judging and all that. You know, the self proclaimed yogis and the Samahari sitters. And this is what I mean with like, we just extricate every fucking piece of meaning from anything that ever had meaning just to fulfill our superficial, instant gratification ways that we live in now. You know what I mean? It's, I don't, oh man, it's because like, I don't even get this act. Wow. It's actually a thought I had earlier with my brother is because I noticed, right? That when I think about something, a feeling arises. But I notice that I can think about that feeling arising, yet not control that feeling from arising. So I can use my intellect to notice the feeling, the sensation part of me, the unconscious, that is which I am not conscious of, because I'm consciously thinking of that which is providing the emotional feeling that which I do not know of. Okay? So the conscious intellect talking on the unconscious feeling. To understand that, then one can go forth and try to work with. Because it's an understanding that, oh, I don't have, like the feeling is going to occur, but it doesn't have to. I can have the thought without the feeling. Now, how do we do that? Now you have to go into your unconscious and bring forth things that have been repressed and a whole bunch of other work has to be done from my understanding. Um. So that's just me explaining when I get fucking nuts. Now, that being said, when I see these things, it's like uh, everything I just said right here. You know, gurus don't call, like saviors, you know, Jesus Christ, Jehovah, fucking Moses, Buddha, the wood, uh, Odin, uh, Zeus. Um, I'm forgetting like off the top. Krishna, uh, Rama. Rama, um, all these like saviors don't come like all the time. Like you can't, you're not going to be 10 of them at once, like all competing for each other. It's not, you know, like it's, whoo, it's just further extrication from anything that have any meaning for us to work with. And it just gets, and then when my the feeling arises, and it's, that's just the unconscious parts of me that want to, I don't know, we're still working on that, but that's just the explanation of it. Um, and to be godly is to be able to walk in between the, th the intellect and the feeling, the intellect and the sensation. Un unification of the both to creation. That's that godly shit. So, you know, it just, it just, you know, it's at least the person, or not at least, but it was, you know, the person when we were talking about the Samadhi, Samadhi, Samadhi did recognize that it could just be their ego that set, has even such a thought which is cool. I just don't think they ever hit Samadhi. Like, I don't think I ever have, to be honest with you. The states I speak of, I don't know if they're there yet. Maybe once throughout all my meditative times where it just was insanely, like, as literally as if light was pouring out of my head and I wasn't any, I don't know, you can't explain it. Other than that, I don't know. It's... Unless every fucking thing I've ever looked into is a lie about these things. And there's new expedited ways. Like, you know, everyone loves the quote, like, oh, Rome's not built in a day. Anything worth anything is, you know, uh, they build a Honda in a week or a Toyota in a week and a Rolls Royce in three months. Yet we want to expedite every fucking process right now because the current culture is telling us everything needs to be done this second. Not understanding that the only reason we're so encapsulated on time is because we never give the moment the respect, constantly thinking about the outcome and the next step. Therefore, you're never in time.
That's why when people die, they're like, oh, where'd time go? Oh, time flies by because you're never in the moment. You're constantly thinking about the next thing, the next thing. This right now is going to pay for the bill later. When this happens, I will be happy. Vacation's in a month. Uh, the sale's coming out. I have my brand dropping next week. Everything is next, 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 next. You wonder why time flies. You don't give it the respect it needs, baby. That's what I like about driving across country, too, because you can see it all. You know, when I got to fly, I got to fly, you know? So I'm going to give you a little something, too. Out of, this is from uh, Leze Tao's, you know? Tao Te Ching from Leze Tao. Old ancient Chinese guy. Homeboy, this seems similar to the Gita, you know? Completely different times. You know, one's ancient Chinese, one's ancient Hindu, Indian, whatever you want to call it. So here we are. Um, la, 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 la. This is just him explaining. And it's going to sound a lot like what we talk about with the Geats, right? So here we go. Tata Ching, Laser Tao's classic. There was, there was something formless yet complete that existed before heaven and earth, without sound, without substance, depended on nothing, unchanging, all-pervading, unfailing. One may think of it as the mother of all things under heaven. Its true name we do not know. Wei is the name that we give it. You know what I mean? How does that sound like? The unexplainable, you know, the void, the unmanifest, the manifest. It's all irrational. That's why irrational things come from the unconscious, because we can't consciously explain. Only that is which conscious is logically explained. That's why a thing becomes a miracle, because science can't explain it. Here's another little Gita-ish thing. He who, uh, should we give you a back? No. Where's this from? Oh, it's also from the Tao. The Tao Ching. He who knows the always so has room in him for everything. He who has room in him for everything is without prejudice. To be without prejudice is to be kingly. To be kingly is to be of heaven. To be of heaven is to be in Tao. Tao is forever, and he that possesses it, though his body ceases, is not destroyed. You see what I'm saying? It's almost like it's just all energy, right? Because if energy cannot be created or destroyed and only transferred, sounds a lot like though his body ceases, it cannot be destroyed. Tao could just be a creative process, like these all are. You know? So, I don't know. Just sounds all familiar. Now, uh, I think that's it. I just went on a tear. Almost on 20, 20 minutes. I've been 20 minutes in a while, but I had a lot to read today. So, tomorrow will start up the actual shlokas. And tomorrow's Friday, baby. You know what I mean? All right, I hope you all have a good day. And as always, thank you for tuning in to WLOU, the smooth sounds of the Bhagavad Gita.